Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's wonderful to have you with me. There's so many distractions and you need that solitude and, you know, peace and quiet. That's Monica Wiley, one of my guests this week. We'll get to Monica and her husband, Bob, in just a moment. But first, this is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago. If you're new to the podcast, I'm delighted that you've found us. Take a seat, put your feet up, maybe grab a beer out of the vending machine, <laughs> pour yourself a Tinto di Varano. The virtual albergue is open. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe, and pilgrims walk. You might walk 20, 30, or even 50 kilometres a day. The most popular Camino is what's called the Camino Francais, which winds its way from saint jean pied de port on the French side of the Pyrenees to the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela. We're told the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred in the crypt beneath the cathedral in the heart of the old city of Santiago. Indeed, Santiago de Compostela translates as St. James under a field of stars. The Camino is a journey of the mind and soul, an adventure of spirit. You'll love the opportunity to walk and talk, the opportunity to learn and grow, the opportunity to set goals and to achieve them. The walk may sound daunting, and make no mistake, it is challenging. But you'll find yourself getting fitter the further you go on. You'll find yourself in the company of other pilgrims, searching for somewhere gentle and welcoming to share a meal. I was thinking this week about Plaza del Grano in Leon, opposite the municipal albergue. The bar there is called Del Grifo, the tap. We sat in the cobblestone square, a statue of two children frolicking in the fountain sprayed a light mist across our dusty and exhausted faces. And a duo, mandolin and guitar, came to perform for us. And I was delighted to see the whole table reach into their pockets to throw a coin or two into their hat. The sun set to the west, calling us to rest before we followed it over the horizon the next morning. Léon is one of my favourite cities in the world. I somehow feel very at home there. And I remember when I was a boy, a holiday house we stayed at from time to time had a wall hanging that said, home is not a place, it's a feeling. I suppose that's why so many pilgrims feel at home on the Camino de Santiago, a feeling and why so many of us yearn to go back. The Australian government announced this week borders will not open until 2022, so I'm going to be here dreaming for a while longer. And I saw pictures this week of a lineup of backpacks outside a church in Spain filled me with hope. As things return to normal, slowly we begin to hope again. We place our trust in the realms of possibility. My quote this week comes from the American author Anthony Doerr. Leave home, leave the country, leave the familiar. Only then can routine experience, buying bread, eating vegetables, even saying hello, become new all over again. Pilgrims not only yearn to find themselves, it's often a chance to find a newer self. I met this week's guests when I was in San Diego for my short tour of the United States in March last year. The world was waiting to see if COVID-19 would be the catastrophe some were predicting. We celebrated the gift of adventure, travel, pilgrimage and leaving the familiar to become new again. Bob and Monica Wiley are on the line from Southern California. Welcome, pilgrims. 
Thank you, Dan. Hi, Dan. Monica, I'll start with you. Tell us about yourselves. Have you always lived in San Diego and uh, are you lifelong Californians? Perhaps you might tell us where home is. Well, home originally was in the Chicago area. And Bob and I actually grew up about four blocks from each other uh, in northwest Indiana. Uh, We got married after college, and in 1979, well, about uh, eight years after we were married, or five years after we were married, we moved to California, to San Diego, and we've been here now over 40 years. It's hard to believe. (laughs) Bob, um, the lifestyle in California is often described as a bit new agey. Are you two new agey? No, we're pretty we're pretty traditional folks, uh, spiritually and uh, how we live our lifestyle. So, no, we're not edgy at all. I don't think. I don't think you describe us, especially at this age, as edgy. <laughs> Monica, tell us how the Camino came into your lives. Well, it's funny, Dan. Uh, I the first time I ever heard about the Camino was in 1992, and we had. Uh, made a Crucial weekend, which is a uh, a type of retreat, and they gave us a book, and the book talked about the founder of the movement, and he had taken pilgrims to Santiago de Compostela, and they explained that it was I didn't even know where Saint James was born. It was um, I'm sorry, I didn't know where he had done or was buried, so it was a surprise, um, you know, to hear that. Didn't think anything of it at all. Then about oh, what maybe five years ago, we watched the way. Uh, and unlike a lot of people who have seen that movie, we love the movie, but I didn't come away thinking, boy, I really want to do it. So then flash forward a few more years and a very close friend of mine sat on a plane with somebody who had just finished their Camino. And she said, when I retire, I'm going to do the Camino. And as the years towards retirement got closer, she said, does anybody want to go with me? And I said, sure. And so we go camping every summer. And a couple, in 2018, she brought all of these guidebooks and things and said, we're planning the Camino. So we started planning for September of 2019. And then I'll let Bob take over because I was planning on going with my three friends. And uh, I ended up going with him. I horned in on her action, actually. And <laughs> uh, when she, well, obviously, I, I had seen the movie as well. And when she was talking about her plans, I said, boy, I'd really like to do that, you know. And so she thought about it and, and decided, well, let's do it together. So we decided we were going to do it. And uh, that's what we did. Did it take much planning, Bob? Were you, w- did you do a lot of research sitting around at night sort of pouring through guidebooks and on the internet? Did you have it all planned out? Well, we did a fair amount of planning. Yeah, we got the, uh, the guidebook uh, by Briarly, of course, and I think one or two others. And uh, we started talking about, you know, how much could we do in a day? Should we follow Briarly? Should we do something else? Um, what about, you know, it's the whole thing. How about clothing and shoes? And, and so we started looking at, at, uh, things online as well. And it it all came together over time. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny is that once, once you start thinking about it, you become really quite, don't you, Monica, you become quite obsessed with it, don't you? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, we were living and breathing it and I, and I'm an information junkie. So I was 
always reading the blogs on and the posts on APOC. Uh, any books, it was, um, I wanted to find out all that I could, but still leave enough room for, you know, not be totally expecting something. You know, I still had that thought of we're going in and what will happen will happen. Bob, what did your family and friends make of it all? Uh, well, there's not too many people that I associate with that knew much about it, actually. So mm. I was, I grew up with a, had breakfast with a bunch of guys on Saturday morning and, you know, I was describing to them our plans and they were nodding politely and, and, uh, but they really didn't know much about it. And, uh, of course, having not done it yet, I couldn't share that much about it really, uh, about the experience. And so, yeah, it was it was an adventure, you know, and and that's the way I presented it, and that's how people took it. I think. I suppose, in many ways, Monica, Americans and Australians are particularly lucky and fortunate people. It's a very simple life, this pilgrimage life. Why do you think we're seeking this simpler life? Because our lives are so complicated, and uh, there's so many distractions, and. It's just um, you need that solitude and, you know, peace and mm-hmm. quiet. And uh, Bob and I, uh, when we were on the, when we started the Camino, every day we would say a prayer. And when we, uh, for direction and safety and all this. And when we got home, we walk our dog every day. And I we kind of missed that ritual beginning our walk. So the beginning of our walk every day. Um, we usually say a prayer. One of them is, um, uh, God, give me, um, help me to re- return to the serenity and the simplicity of the Camino. Oh, how fantastic. Yeah, the simplicity. That's right. It is one of those things, isn't it? And I guess it leads perfectly, Bob, my next question. What do you think we can learn from being a pilgrim and what change can it bring to us at home? I think for me, uh, getting out of the daily routine of life at home, and and everybody, I think, has a routine that they're used to living, and that's how you live your life. I mean, you get up, you go to work, or whatever you do during the day, you come home, and and so you have this daily routine, and to to do the Camino just throws all that out the window, and it's a routine in itself, but it's a much simpler routine, and it gives you a lot more time to think about your life at home and reflect on your life at home and what you're doing there and are those the right things that you should be doing? What should I be doing differently? What am I learning here on the Camino? So all of these questions start popping into your brain and and it's really a chance to reflect, I think, on how you're living your life at home and and what could be different and what could be better about it. Yeah. So how does it – give us an example, Bob. I'll stay with you. An example of how it resonates with you at home. Well, so my whole work life, I've been a creature of uh, performance and metrics and measures, and, and my whole career has been measured. And so when I walk the Camino, all that goes out the window because you have to learn to live a moment at a time. And maybe you're not going to make it to the place you thought you were going to make it to that day, 
maybe you make it someplace else. And am I going to have a place to sleep? And so it just throws your whole routine that you're used to out the window and puts you into kind of a different, simpler routine uh, that helps you reflect on where you come from. Mm, Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's interesting there that you talk about um, the day-to-day at home. Monica, tell us about the day-to-day on the Camino. Um, what was your sort of routine? What, how did you find yourselves over there? What did you, well, how did you fill your days? What is it? Walk, eat, sleep, wash? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was funny that it was, I mean, that was our routine. We got up in the morning, we you know, walked a certain amount, we stopped for a second breakfast, we get to a town, we tried to get early in the afternoon, and then we would have uh, a lunch and wash our clothes and do everything and then have dinner and then start it all over again. But the interesting thing and the thing that was most surprising to me, Dan, was every day that we were on that Camino, on the Camino, we, we were ready for the next adventure. And it, it wasn't like, oh, no, I've got to get up and you know, we've got to go 25 kilometers today. We were just so enthralled with the, the whole um, idea of the Camino or the whole experience of the Camino that uh, we, there was never a day that we, didn't, we weren't eager to get on the road and see what lied ahead for us. Wow, how fantastic. And, and Bob, did you always walk together? Uh, pretty much. I mean, there were times when we would separate for a bit, but, uh, we pretty much kept together. Uh, I think after the first, it took me 10, 10 days to really get into the Camino. And like I said, I'm so metrics driven that I, you know, I wanted to be certain places at certain times during the day. Otherwise we're not going to make our stop. Da, da, da. And I almost drove Monica into the ground and, it took me about 10 days before the switch, the light went on in my brain that, no, you can't do this. You know, you've just got to go with a moment by moment life on this Camino and live it as it comes. You know? That must have been difficult for you then. It was extremely <laughs> difficult. It is more difficult on Monica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you always stay in El Burgues? Uh, no, well, most of the time we, we, well, it was a variety of things. Right. Once we figured out the albergue system, uh, we started staying in albergues. But, uh, what we did was we took day packs. We had day packs and we would send our luggage ahead. And so, uh, to the next hotel. And so to the extent that we planned, we had to be at a certain place by, um, you know, by that evening to stay there and our bags would be there when we showed up. Right. So, um, anyway, that's kind of how we did it. But then we, we figured out the albergue system and found out that albergues also would take luggage in and so we could stay there as well. And so we did a, we did kind of did a combination of things as we went along. And Monica, what about injuries, blisters, aches and pains? How did you both cope with all of that? We were, we did really well with that, Dan. And I think part of that was because when we start, before we went, 
we you know we're very we picked our shoes we walked hundreds of miles in the shoes we you know our socks all of that we wanted to make sure that our feet were you know in good shape so yeah. um i don't think we had any blisters at all no and uh i had a i have back problems from time to time which is one of the reasons why i didn't want to carry a backpack uh, the whole way, and uh, we were in uh, what was it, um, Chaka, yeah, Costella, and my back just went, it just twisted, and I was in excruciating pain, and so much so I had to walk with my walking stick to go to, into town to see what I could, what I could do, and I found a massage therapist who actually had an appointment for me a couple hours later, and so I went there and then of course we had other things that the pharmacy was wonderful with i had a golfer's rash or hiker's rash under my socks and i showed the pharmacist my leg and he just gave me you know a tube of this cream and within a couple of days it was gone and then bob you had yeah i had some kind of a like a pulled muscle in the quadricep for about four days but uh yeah i got my shoes uh, long before the shoes I thought I was going to wear on the Camino, I got them long before we went over there. And I actually wore out a pair of shoes hiking here and decided, yep, these are the shoes I'm going to, I'm going to use. I bought a new pair and took those with me. Never had any foot problems at all. That's great, isn't it? And, and yeah. I suppose um, I mentioned in the introduction that the Camino is not easy. Um, indeed, some days are really quite difficult. I think it's fair to say you're both retired. You're not 21 anymore. How did you cope with the day after day walking, the relentlessness of the pilgrimage, Bob? Uh, well, you get into a routine. And so you get up about the same time every morning. You go out. You know, you know what it is. So you just do the same routine day after day. And in different places in Spain, there's different things to appreciate. Like on the Meseta, the sunrises were amazing. Yeah. And so we always tried to get out on the Meseta before the sun came up. And that was a, that was a feature of our day, was to walk along and, and watch the sun come up. And there's just different things all, along the route that you come to appreciate and make it part of your routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you find, Bob, I'll stay with you, find yourselves running into the same people? From time to time? Yeah, it's funny because uh, the the Camino is like this big, long snake of people. And you'll see somebody, you might walk with somebody for three days, not see them again for two weeks, and all of a sudden you see them again or they pop up in a restaurant and you join up with them again. Then you might not see them for a week. It's just this, like, long snake of people and you know the thing is we took off days several times and so we would fall behind but then we would catch up and and it was just a lot of fun catching up with people once you hadn't seen them for a while yeah yeah and monica did you notice change in those people those people around you i not well that's a good question, Dan. I, I'm thinking of the change, you know, I felt within myself, but um, no, I think for the most part, everybody, as the as they went on, they 
got stronger. They, yeah. you know, got more relaxed with the, you know, and uh, just seemed to really enjoy, you know, enjoy the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And what about each other, Monica? Did you, did you see a change in each other? Oh, absolutely. Um, and this was funny. In 47, nearly 47 years of marriage, we have never been together pretty much 24-7 at all. So this was quite, you know, something quite different for us. And I think that the change I found in Bob was, as he had mentioned before, when he realized that you know it wasn't a marathon, it wasn't a race to the finish, uh, stop and smell the roses. And so um, he really, uh, I saw a big change in him with that. And then the other thing too is we're both pretty introverted people and probably Bob even more so than I. And as we progressed on the Camino, he would be more open and inviting people to sit down with us and even asking people if we could sit down with them, which was quite different from when he had left home. So uh, they were all just wonderful changes. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Did you lose weight, Bob? I did, although I've gained it all back at this point. <laughs> and, and more, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I lost a little bit of weight, I think, on the Camino, yeah. Bob, I'll stay with you. Tell us about one town or city where you really felt at home. Oh, there's so many. Uh, I think Leon, like you were saying, Leon was a beautiful city. Uh, uh, Pamplona was, of course, very interesting. Um, Santiago is amazing just because of the history and, and every, and that's the goal, right? So that's the goal is to get there. Um, we went out to, after Santiago, we went out to Musha out on the coast and that was interesting and that was fun. But as far as a, a city, I felt like, like home in, I don't know. I think I really like Leon. That's, that's what sticks in my mind as my favorite place on the Camino. Yeah. Yeah. Monica, did you miss home? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was just such a wonderful adventure. In fact, we didn't want it to end. You know, we were yeah. tired by the end, but uh, I remember that last day thinking, this is the last day we're going to hear roosters crowing, and this is the last day we're going to smell whatever it is that they put on the fields, <laughs> and just you know, taking all of that in. Um, probably another reason why I really didn't miss home was I was in contact more or less with family and friends back here through a blog that I was writing. Yeah. But I wrote it, I started it mainly for myself so that otherwise I knew I would not be able to remember all the details and you know, the cities be, or towns begin to blur together after a while. Yeah. So I made a real effort really for myself to do that, but I also shared it, and I tried to do it daily and share it with uh, family back home. And that was wonderful because people were so terrific in offering their support and their prayers and knowing that we had that going you know, along the way. And I had done that. We had lived in Denmark for a few years for Bob's job. And I had done that. That's kind of where I started getting the idea of doing a, a blog or recount of you know, things that we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And people were, you know, our friends and family just 
you know, loved it. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and do this. And there were a number of people when I got home that said uh, that they were vicariously walking the Camino with us. So That's fantastic. Actually, your blog is on Traveler's Point, and it's called the Camino Chronicles, yeah? And you were writing as retired Mon. You wrote, right. a, you wrote a lot. Yeah. Did you did you write each day or did you take notes and write when you got home? How did it work? It was a combina- it was a combination. I did sometimes I would go a couple of days and some days the Wi-Fi wasn't very good and I couldn't uh, upload it. So that uh, made it a little bit, you know, that was a little bit more difficult. But there were times when I would be Bob would be asleep and I would be laying in bed on my iPad, you know, writing everything down. And I wondered, you know, am I taking away from this? But now I look back and I'm so glad that I did that. In fact, one of the things I did, uh, Dan, was I up, I changed my uh, blog. Instead of Traveler's Point, I went with Blogstop. So it's retiredmon.blogspot.com uh, uh, because they had a plat- I, uh, had There was a company that makes uh, books from blogs. And so they didn't uh, you. Uh, recognized the first blog I had. So I copied everything and stuck it into the other one. And then I added some pictures and uploaded it and have this amazing 200 page book that has all of the blogs and all of the photos in it. And we look at it, I don't know, at least every few months. It's just looking back. Yeah, Yeah, I looked at it today again, pulled it out. I was going through it just to bring back some memories prior to the call uh, tonight and uh, brought back some emotions and uh, some thoughts I had, you know, along the way. So the book has been fantastic to have. So just tell us how that works then. You, You compile the blog and then they automatically create a book out of it, do they? And I, well, I, I compiled the, uh, I had my blog. And then you go to their website and t- put in the uh, URL, I believe, and yeah. it uploads all the information. And it's kind of a cookie cutter process. And they put them, put it all together, and you've got full page spreads and you know the content and everything. And it's it's just really cool. Yeah, that's great. And after returning home, uh, Monica, you went to the grocery store and saw things that took you back to the Camino and you wrote, I love these everyday reminders of the Camino, but there are so many more etched in our hearts, memories, friendships, and an inspired approach to life. I know it will take an effort to maintain the spirit and simplicity of the Camino when surrounded by so much busyness, noise, distractions, and consumerism. But that's the reality of home for most of us, Monica, isn't it? Yep, it is. But I think I can say that we've tried to maintain or tried to bring in that simplicity of the Camino. Uh, The first thing I did when I got home was clean out my closets and (laughs) cupboards and all of that and just try to minimize things. I can't stand to go shopping anymore, uh, (laughs) which I used to like, but it's just, it doesn't interest me and I have all that I need and more than I need. So uh, we're trying to maintain that mindset, uh, even, you know, today. Yeah. Hey, Bob, is there a, a Camino reminder or two at home, a shell hanging somewhere or a credential hanging on the wall? Yeah, we actually have, uh, over the entryway into our family room, 
we have a, a sign that uh, Monica picked up. A, a guy makes signs out of wood planks with the yellow arrow, uh, the Camino arrow. And then um, in the middle of the arrow, he puts the distance from your home to Santiago. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at ours right now, and it says Santiago, uh, 8,898 kilometers. <laughs> That's great. Where did you get it? Online. I think, oh, it was, okay. I think it was Etsy. Um, if you look at Etsy there and type in Camino de Santiago, there's a number of things. One other thing I did too, Dan, was um, we have a gate in the back of our house, and when we go for our walks, we open, you know, go through the gate and we're on the sidewalk and off to where we want to go because we're on a cul-de-sac and otherwise we would have a long way to go around. So I painted, we have pavers, and so I painted one of the pavers with the yellow arrow and then on the post, uh, the gate post, I painted a yellow arrow. And then I put some rocks in the front of the house that I painted blue with the arrow or the shell. Um, so we do have uh, visual reminders pretty much everywhere in the house. Does anybody ever point to it and, and say, I know what that is? Well, most of the people who come over do know what it is. So. <laughs> And, Bob, you're members of the Southern California chapter of the American Pilgrims on the Camino. It's great to have that connection and camaraderie at home too, isn't it? Yeah, and we don't, we don't do that much with them. Uh, uh, I think it's a relatively new chapter too. So right. we've been getting their emails, but we haven't been doing any activities yet. Uh, right. right, right. And I, I want to go back to the Camino itself. Perhaps I'll start with you, Bob. I sometimes ask my guests if they have a tip or two that they can recommend. Any tips for a potential pilgrim? Yeah, well, like I mentioned before about the shoes, make sure we ran into so many people that had foot problems, and we walked uh, with one person who actually ended up in a hospital for two days with blisters and couldn't finish the walk. And, and, and there were other people with foot problems. And so the most, you know, you're on your feet, good part of the day and you're just walking every day so just make sure before you go you're comfortable in your shoes and um and full-on backpacks moving our luggage ahead we had day packs but also go light you know is the other tip i think that most everybody would say that uh people that were uh, throwing things away and getting rid yeah. of things as they were walking just to lighten their load. So those are the, I think the two biggies for me, as far as physically walking the Camino. Yeah. How far did you walk on average each day? I think it was between 20 and 30 some kilometers, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, our, I think our longest day was what? 17 was, miles. Something no, like it was 21. 21 miles. Yeah. That's right. Bob, I might ask you, what would you have done differently? No, I think when once we came back, uh, uh, we decided that uh, we, want, of course, wanted to do it again, but we would do backpacks this time rather than move our luggage ahead because the backpacks give you the option. If you want to send them ahead, you always uh, but it gives you a lot more flexibility to have everything on your back rather than having to make it to a place every day to, to meet up with your bags. Yeah, I imagine that's right. You've sort of 
you're sort of locked in, aren't you? Because that's where you've got to meet your, your staff. You can't just sort of leave it there and keep walking. Right, right. What, what would you say, Monica, to someone who's listening and they're thinking of walking? What would you say to them? I would say give it a try. And I think the one thing that's so beautiful about the Camino is anyone, everyone, no matter, you know, if you don't think you can walk, uh, you know, the full Camino, you can walk a smaller distance. If you don't think that you can stay in uh, big um, albergues with bunk beds and things like that, there's other options. And there's just so many different ways that you can do it. And even, I think for us, the benefit, it was wonderful walking from Saint-Jean, that whole 38 days from Saint-Jean to uh, Santiago. And it almost takes that long to really get into the spirit of it. But if your time is limited, even if it's a week or five days, it's still a fabulous experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, we, we, we were talking before we started the interview about COVID and, and Southern California, a lot of people getting the vaccine down there. Bob, what's on the horizon? Well, we were planning on uh, actually what last year, last fall, we were going to do the uh, Portuguese, Camino Portuguese uh, from Porto up to Santiago. And, of course, that fell through yeah. when the COVID hit. But uh, we definitely want to do... Uh, the Camino again in some form, whether it's Portuguese or Francais, uh, we'll probably work through that and decide what we want to do again. So one thing that that happened to me uh, when I walked when we walked the Camino, I had cataracts, and I had no idea how much until I had them corrected. I had no I- idea how much it affected my vision and the color rendition of my vision. And so I'd like to see Camino Frances again with my new eyes, <laughs> to, in a manner of speaking, and, and to enjoy what I missed the first time by not having good vision to see everything. Wow, that's great. Yeah, what a great, so a great reckoning, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> well, I think it's great. I, 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 I suppose, Monica... Will you write a blog again if you walk again? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I will probably need to do it more for myself because I'll be that much older and probably more forgetful. So. <laughs> but no, really, I enjoy doing it. It's something I really enjoy doing, and uh, it helps me kind of s- settle in all of the you know th- thoughts and all of the events that happen and just kind of crystallize them. Uh, both in my mind and on the screen. Yeah, how great. So I always finish by asking my guests to tell us a Camino story. Who's going to take it up? Well, I think Bob has one and I have one. So can Oh, you tell fantastic. Him? That's awesome. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Monica. Oh, Bob, you go first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we stayed one night in Trabadello. And as we were walking into town, we saw this other couple in front of us, and there was this huge dog, like a German shepherd, only like on steroids, this great big dog. And uh, so we saw them go into an albergue, and we went to the place we were staying. And then, but we hooked up with them later at dinner, 
And so we asked them about the dog, and they said, well, the dog had followed them from the previous town all the way to Trabadello. And they said once they got into their albergue, the dog just kind of disappeared. Oh, that's interesting, you know, that a dog would follow along with somebody that long. Well, the next morning we got up, got our stuff ready, got all walked out the door, and here's this dog at our front door. And the this dog is big, intimidating, big dog. And so we're like shooing them away because they tell you, you know, don't make friends with dogs on the Camino. Don't let them follow you. And, you know, all this stuff about, you know, stay away from dogs. And so this dog kept following us and we kept trying to shoo it away. That dog followed us 12 miles all the way from Trabadello up the mountain, all the way to Osobrero. Oh. And, and yeah, and he was like on my hip the entire time. That dog would not leave me. And when I stopped and looked back, he would stop and look back. And it, it was just an amazing thing. And then we got up to Osobrero. We came off the trail onto the road there in Osobrero. And here's a truck sitting there. And we hear this guy yelling, Roscoe, Roscoe. And so the dog ran up to the truck. Well, it was the guy that owned the dog. And... So we took from, we, you know, couldn't understand him real well. He didn't understand us real well. But what we can make out of it in talking to other people is that this dog would leave home like two towns back and walk, uh, walk with people all the way up to Osobrero. And then his owner would just drive up to Osobrero a couple of days later and pick up the dog and take him back home. So it was, it was the craziest thing. And the dog was super friendly and, you know, you know a real nice dog. But uh, That's it, was, great. it was just the strangest thing. Yeah, Roscoe. I love it. That's great. Yeah. So we called, him, we called him our Peregrino. <laughs> How, uh, that's a wonderful story. Monica, what have you got? Well, we, went, we stopped in Ventas de Naron. And there's a little uh, chapel there. And I had read that they you can get a cello there and uh, the regular one. And then there was also this Knights Templar uh, cello. So we thought, well, we would stop there. Mm-hmm. So we stopped and we walked in. And there was a man standing behind the altar. It was like an altar that was there. And there was a sign above that said, no photos. And, okay. So we went in and... We asked if we could have a cello, and he said, California? And Bob and I looked at each other, and we looked at our clothes, and there was nothing on our clothes that said California. I don't think we have California accents. If anything, Bob still has a little bit of his Chicago accent. So anyway, we asked the guy for the cello, and he picked up the stamp, and then he took my hand, and he you know, moved it on the, the cell and wanted me to do the cell myself. And I thought, well, that's strange. Maybe he feels that it's part, it's part of being a pilgrim, I should do my own stamp. And so yeah. I did that. And then he, you know, told me to you know, write down the date under it. And then we got the second Knights Templar stamp and he did the same thing. He took my hand and he's putting it on and doing all that. Same, And then he did the same thing for Bob. So we didn't, the only thing we had for donation was, I think, a five-year-old bill. So we gave him the five-year-old bill, 
He put it in an envelope, and then he took this other envelope, and he pulled out a postcard, and he pulled out a little medal. It was for whatever the saint was that was there, Our Lady of whatever it was, and, you know, gave that to us. And so we left, and I told Bob, how in the world did he know we were from California? So that night we stayed at Palo Del Del Rey, and uh, we're in a restaurant, and there's these three Irish women at a table over on the other side. And they start talking about going to this little chapel and the blind man in there who was giving them the stamps. And I went over to them and I said, this was in Ventas de Naron. And she said, yeah. And I said, he was blind? And she said, yes. I had, we had no idea. And, which is really unusual. And what hit me was, who was the blind one in this case? Because it certainly, (laughs) it must've been me. Because I just, I had no idea that he was blind. And then it made sense that he, that was why he was wanting us to do the stamps ourselves and, you know, put all, put all the things that he had us do. But we still couldn't figure out the California part of it. I don't know what that was. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a great story. And you had no idea. No, no. Wow. And I felt, I, I really felt bad afterwards because I thought, how could I be so, you know, non, not observant that I wouldn't have noticed that, but, um, you know, Bob didn't either. Yeah, his eyes were open, and he would look at us as we spoke to him. He would shift his head and, you know, look from one to the other as we talked to him. And so it just yeah. didn't dawn on us that he was blind. Wow, what a great story. Oh, and I, and I imagine that's a very special stamp, a very special cello. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when you look back at the at the credential and and you you can go through it, and and I have a great old mate of mine who comes around, and sometimes he'll I've got it framed above my desk. I'm looking at it right now, and he'll point to it and say, "Tell me the story of that place." And he go, "Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the that's the, that's Albergue Phoenix. I'm looking at it right now in in Villafranca. Yeah, it's a great reminder, isn't it? A great keepsake. It is. Yeah." Oh, wow. Look, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you both. It's been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on this journey you've found yourself on. And most importantly, in my view, you found it together, which is really lovely. You must be pretty, you must be pretty pleased about that. We are. Yeah, we are. I think we're both glad we did it together. And, you know, we learned some things about ourselves and about each other. And uh, if anything, it, it made us closer rather than farther apart when it was all over. So it was it was amazing. Yeah, what a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you at Bernie and Leslie Bono's place in San Diego last March. Bob and Monica, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, and I hope our paths cross again in the not-too-distant future. Well, thank you, Dan. Take care. Until then, walk on. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guests this week, Bob and Monica Wiley from San Diego in Southern California. As things return to normal, slowly we begin to hope again. We place our trust in the realms of possibility, Actually, when we finished this week's interview, we were talking, just wrapping things up, and Monica said that she was actually reading a book by Anthony Dewar right now as part of her local book club. And that's, of course, to whom I credit this week's quote. Leave home, leave the country, leave the familiar, 
Only then can routine experience, buying bread, eating vegetables, even saying hello, become new all over again. Before we finish this week, I've been meaning to pay tribute to a friend of mine. David Barrett was the convener of the Central Coast Pilgrim community north of Sydney. A lovely man. I had the good fortune of meeting him twice, and we corresponded often. He and I loved to talk about Samos. He died a little while ago. He was a pilgrim through and through, incredibly generous, caring and sharing. And I told him, I remembered walking through the forest of eucalypts as I made my way from Azura to Opedruzo. The smells were so familiar because Sydney is ringed by eucalypt trees. The Blue Mountains an hour west of the city are called the Blue Mountains because of the haze from the eucalypts rises above the forest-covered landscape. And David Barrett told me the most incredible story about Rosendo Salvardo, a Benedictine monk who lived from 1814 to 1900. Rosendo entered the monastery of St. Martin in Santiago de Compostela on the Praza de Immaculada in behind the cathedral in Santiago. He was just 15 years old. Rosendo was ordained a priest in 1839 and asked his superiors if he might make his way to the distant horizon, a town called Sydney. Then he arrived in Australia on our shores in 1846. Then he made his way to Perth in Western Australia. So no matter where you're listening to me right now, you cannot imagine a more distant land than Western Australia in the 1840s. His writings at the time say he set about doing the Lord's work, reclaiming souls. He established a learning centre for the local First Nations people. He named it New Norcia after the Italian town of Norcia, where St. Benedict was born. Salvado was the son of musicians and had been taught to play the organ as a boy. So his new adventure, this fledgling monastery in Australia, this new learning facility, was hitting hard times. So he headed to the capital, Perth, and performed a concert where he charged each of the audience members a pound per ticket. It refloated his teaching venture, and he was back in business. History books tell us that he drove a bullock cart, he felled trees, sowed and planted, and turned the local desert into a land rich in corn and wine and honey. He roamed with the Aborigines, earning their respect. He soon set about building an abbey. Google it. You won't believe your eyes. A slice of Spain in the remote wilderness of Western Australia and he is absolutely revered in that part of the world. David Barrett told me he stayed at the Benedictine Monastery in Samos. I've stayed there twice. There was a statue, and all he could make out at the foot of the plinth was the word Australia. He said he was sure it was a tribute to Salvardo. Indeed, the legend goes, it was Salvardo who took the eucalypt from Australia to Spain. So as you walk through the forests, as I did between Azura and Opredruzzo, you might think of him, his extraordinary journey, his incredible journey, his pilgrimage to the other side of the world to share St. Benedict's message, to be obedient and humble. David told me the monks at Samos, and indeed Benedictine monks around the world each day, devote eight hours to prayer, eight hours to sleep, and eight hours to manual work, sacred reading, and or works of charity. Surely, the ultimate pilgrimage. 
taking a tour of the monastery in Samos, you are led through a portico where the story of St. Benedict is told. I'm sure he would have loved knowing he had a friend and follower in my friend, David Barrett, who died a little while back. Good luck to you, David, on this new pilgrimage. That's it for me this week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere